You're listening to Pros Like Us. Brought to you by NFL Draft Blitz. And now, without any further ado, here's Alex and Lou. That's right, gang. We are back and better than last week, we hope. We've reached week 12 of the NFL season, Thanksgiving time. Uh, We're going to be talking a little bit about uh, Mac Jones, Kyle Shanahan, the Colts, turkey legs, whatever you want to call it, but let's do this. First off, Alex has a, not an ache or pain, I think it's more of a relief now, right, Alex? Yeah, it's holiday season. Obviously, everybody is in a good mood because they're going to get to see football games on Thursday, you know, a couple of them. And then, you know, you're going to eat that turkey. You're going to spend time with your family. You're going to have a couple of days off from work. Either way, it's it's a great time. I want to wish Matt Nagy all the best. I've had a bone to pick with Matt Nagy since last season, since we started this show. He's lost five straight games. There are official reports on Twitter that he will coach his last game as the head coach of the Bears during Thanksgiving against another team like the Lions. Matt Nagy is going to get back on board. He's going to become um, an offensive coordinator or a quarterback's coach elsewhere. This has been a failed experiment for him in Chicago because he was known as the QB guru. And when he arrived, Mitchell Trubisky had a terrific season in that first year. But everything regressed after that. Mitchell Trubisky didn't develop. You know, Justin Fields, it's been some mixed signals out there. I think, you know, Justin Fields has played better when Matt Nagy hasn't been there. I wish him all the best. I think the Chicago Bears are doing the best thing here, this franchise. And to be honest with you, it shouldn't only be Matt Nagy. I think Ryan Pace should also be gone. Maybe not around this time, but at the end of the season, I think you start over. You start fresh with new people in the front office and a new head coach. Get rid of both guys out there. By the way, Khalil Mack is out for the season, the old pro. The Bears are not going to get better as a result. I hope they win this game on Thanksgiving against the Lions and kind of send off Matt Nagy with the nice farewell. There have been rumors that players have quit on him, so you never know. Maybe the, the Lions will get their first win on Thanksgiving. Well, some guys may just not be cut out to be head coaches. I do believe that Matt Nagy brings a lot of value to teams. Now, obviously, he did to the Chiefs, I thought, you know, from an offensive perspective, uh, maybe not necessarily in calling the plays, but being creative and installing different things that uh, Reed wasn't getting so stale. Now, EB is in that position right now. I guess the question is, what happens to Matt Nagy? Is he going to be the type of guy that has an ego and is going to hold out for another head coaching job that that call may never come? Or does he go back to the Chiefs as a special assistant, a la uh, Brad Childress at, at, at one point, working on special projects, but basically an offensive coach to work with Kafka, to work with Patrick Mahomes and, and the rest. So that I would welcome in a heartbeat. But again, the Eric Bieniemy 
just conundrum for some reason or dilemma that other teams are having and why they don't hire him is still a mystery. And again, this is is a bad thought to have. I hope this isn't the case, but it's almost as if he gets knocked down because of his stature. He's like 5'6 or 5'7, not a big guy, maybe not a commanding presence or a CEO looking guy that owners or GMs are looking for. Maybe the way he speaks and enunciates, I think, is more what players relate to. But again, is the media going to like that? Are our fans going to like that? And I think it just a lot of things that really shouldn't be that high of a consideration are knocking him down and he's not getting a fair shake at these opportunities. So I'm going to get off of my chief soapbox here. I think Eric Bieniemy obviously should have a chance, deserves a shot at a head coaching job. We'll see if it happens. Uh, if it does, and I think Matt Nagy, maybe he doesn't go right back into the offensive coordinator role. Maybe he and Kafka break it up because Kafka is kind of a rising star there. I don't know. Maybe this is a, this is another uh, Josh McDaniel situation. He's very good working with his offense, but as a head coach, maybe not so much. Obviously, he's not nearly as accomplished as Josh McDaniels. But again, just as far as the, okay, head coach, not so good. Coordinator, outstanding. You like that parallel? Josh McDaniels had a chance with the Denver Broncos. Right. And obviously, it didn't happen for him the way he... But he's a, he's a tremendous offensive coordinator. But we don't know about EB. You know, until he, got, exactly, he has gotten right. that first head coaching job, we don't know how he's going to be yep. able to motivate these young men, what kind of a leader he's going to be as a head coach. And I would like for him to get a chance. You know, just one chance, even if he falls flat on his face, but at least you get a, an opportunity to find out whether this guy has the the wherewithal to be lead these 53 players on Sunday. Right now, we don't know that because, you know, he's leading this offense. You know, the Chiefs are have bounced back and, you know, they're leading the AFC West division. And you know the effect that he's had on Patrick Mahomes and he speaks glowingly about him. EB is not a bad person to hire with the young quarterback. Are you listening, Bears? Because, hey, the Matt Nagy experience might not have worked, but why not give it a second go around? Why not hire EB to try to develop Justin Fields? I think that would be a good spot for him. It wouldn't be in the same conference as the Chiefs. It will be in Chicago. Why not? Let's do this. Another point against him is this, and there's this ongoing undercurrent amongst NFL hires and NFL front offices, and it was brought up, I think, on the Sunday night game, as far as Mike Tomlin was concerned, that coaches of color actually are encouraged to go to the defensive side of the ball if they want to advance to the next position as a head coach, to be a defensive head coach. And again, it's the worst situation. And just it's just sick to think that people still think that way, that for some reason these, you know, these coaches of color can't think or can't design offenses. Obviously, he's been doing it for a few years. But again, maybe he doesn't get the credit because you know Andy Reid kind of oversees everything, that he's the offensive guru. The whole racial thing still plays. And Tomlin confirmed that. And other people around the league have said the same thing. It, it, it is a recurring theme. So, it just screams of 
old boy network and just different biases that these, uh, whether it's the GMs or the owners have towards minority hires. So let's move on. Let's go ahead and bring in our guest. Let's go to a positive note. Here we go. He's the quarterback for the number one ranked and undefeated Ferris State Bulldogs. Also a former lacrosse player. We'll get a little bit deeper into that. But the pride of Longwood, Florida, number 12, Jared Bernhardt. Jared, how you doing? Welcome to Pros Like Us. Doing good. Thanks for having me. Great. We'd like to start off kind of like taking the way back machine a little bit. What's your earliest football memory? Earliest football memory would probably be... My dad was a football coach, so I would probably say, you know, going to those games, I have two older brothers they are seven years older than me, so they would kind of go in and, you know, be around the, the players and go on the field. I was too young at the time, but uh, probably going to the games and experiencing that, that was probably my earliest football memories. Okay, now I know your dad had quite the career. I mean, he coached several places, Hofstra, Penn State, mm-hmm. I guess later with the Texans. Where yeah. would you have been? in that, uh, that kind of lineage? Uh, when he was at UCF, that's when I was kind of younger, younger. Penn State, okay. Houston, I was, I was definitely a little older, so I, I for sure remember those things a lot more clear. But, yeah, UCF probably is uh, the one when I was, like, you know, really young. Okay. How about lacrosse, your earliest memory? Probably the first time with my dad going out in just, like, the front yard in our um, house in Florida and throwing for, like, around the first time. That was probably my earliest lacrosse memory that I could think of. All right. Now, we say you were, you know, a lacrosse player. You you weren't just a lacrosse player. You were the lacrosse player a year ago, two years ago at the University of Maryland, perennially one of the top five teams in college lacrosse. And I know I'm going to butcher this pronunciation, but you were the winner of the Tawaraton Award, which is the, I guess, the Heisman of lacrosse. You were pretty good. Obviously, you were that good. I don't want to put words in your mouth, but when you were coming out of high school and you were playing both sports, what made you choose lacrosse over football? My two older brothers played, went to Maryland. I was just kind of comfortable. You know, I knew the people. I would always go up and visit, um, you know, try to get, I loved going to the practices. And so I was just comfortable with that football stuff. I didn't really honestly think about playing football too much. It kind of came on a little later on in high school more like the military schools. We ran like the triple option, and I kind of didn't want to go, you know, that route. So I, I kind of went to the lacrosse route. Lou already mentioned it. Obviously, you were a very good lacrosse player not that long ago. So sum up your overall career at Maryland, how it went. Introduce our listeners mm-hmm. to lacrosse and what you were able to accomplish there. You know, we had had our ups and downs. I mean, we were, you know, usually usually pretty good uh, I was fortunate enough to play my first year there. Um, we had a lot of older guys, experienced guys, All-Americans that uh, kind of I looked at as mentors, like Matt Ramble, Isaiah Davis Allen, Tim Moeller, a bunch of guys on that team that I still stay in contact with. They uphold that uh, that standard there. was fortunate enough to go to the playoffs every year, lost in a quarterfinals, lost in a national championship, uh, lost in a final four, got a national championship. Um, you know, I was very fortunate, you know, to go and uh, play at Maryland and met a lot of a lot of great people that I still stay in contact with um, that kind of I can carry on, um, you know, past the game. Now, Jared, it sounds like the move to football was kind of a process. Maybe you can take us through the series of events that led you from 
being the number one player in lacrosse at Maryland to becoming the quarterback at Ferris State. It was kind of something I talked about with my dad, maybe what I want to do after school. That came up about, you know, doing a year of football. So we kind of, you know, had options. He eventually passed away, so I kind of would communicate with my brothers and, you know, ended up just sending out, you know, emails, you know, just kind of telling people, uh, obviously played lacrosse, uh, played football in high school, you know, looking to do a, do a year of football. Fair State, they got back to me, um, started the communication with them, and then here I am. So why Ferris State? Was that the only school that basically offered you something, or were there some other schools involved in this whole process as well? Yeah, I looked at some schools up in New York. It was mostly, I was looking at some places, closer to my family up that way. And then why Ferris State? You know, Coach Anise with the culture here and, you know, how competitive they were, that really uh, grabbed my attention. You know, I wanted to go a place, we're going to compete, as a team and I wanted to also go and compete you know against you know the best so that that kind of was a huge part when you came there did you go straight to the quarterbacks or were they looking at you at some other position maybe like DB or or wide receiver went right to the quarterback stuff yeah right to the quarterback stuff you haven't thrown a football in a while I mean they trusted you did they give you a workout mm-hmm. I mean how did that all go yeah no workout Actually, I mean, I told Coach, you know, when we were communicating, I said I ran the triple option in high school, didn't really throw it too much, you know, more running style. And uh, I told him, you know, and he was, you know, seemed fine with it, and they wanted me to do quarterback. You know, I'd sent my other stuff out, you know, potentially playing another position like receiver or, you know, whatever. But they were like, you know, why don't you come, you know, do the quarterback thing? And, and so I was like, okay got out here and you know had a had a lot of work to do for sure before I got out here but yeah that was kind of how that went Jared how has playing lacrosse all of your life and recently at Maryland helped you in your transition to football once you got back into it again at Ferris State uh I don't know how much I mean you can talk you know the skill you know vision like all that type of stuff I just think especially being at Maryland and kind of that culture there that Coach Tillman has and, you know, the standard, I think a lot of that has, you know, just helped me. You know, again, I don't have much, you know, football experience, but being there and having gone through that program, you know, that I feel like has helped me a lot. I guess the most recent change, if you would, or guy that that switched was Chris Hogan, who was played lacrosse at, at Penn State and then went to play football yeah. in Monmouth as a wide receiver in the NFL, you know, Everybody knows a story that that follows football, right? Did he influence you at all? I mean, would, do you have a relationship with him, or do you know anything about his path? Yeah, I do know about his uh, his path. Um, I actually was able to connect with him and kind of pick his brain about you know his whole process, and you know I was able to get to the field with him a little bit and and stuff up on uh, Long Island, New York. So yeah, I'm definitely you know familiar with with his path. And again, like I said, I. And was able to kind of ask questions and kind of how he went through the, the whole process. What was like the, I guess, the best piece of advice he gave you? I mean, it's pretty cliche. I mean, it's pretty much just, you know, you want to go and do this thing. You're going to, you know, pretty much just go full steam ahead. You don't got much time doing it. Keep putting in the work and, you know, it, it will definitely work out in the end. Your team finished the regular season undefeated 10-0. 
you had a first round bye. You're waiting for your opponent as we speak right now in the second round. We don't know who it is yet. What are the main keys for this team in order to claim that D2 national title? Yeah, I think we just got to focus on ourselves. Said we're going to prepare um, just like we always have and just again, focus on what we need to do. I'm not sure who we're playing yet, but um, looking at ourselves, how we need to get better each and every day. As you look back on the season, what is your most memorable win and why? The first game was, you know, that was my first college football game um, that I experienced. So I would say that's probably the most memorable, especially at uh, Top Tiger Field. It was, we get awesome, you know, fan base, and it was, it was really, really cool to see that. All right, Jared, you guys are pretty balanced on offense. You score 45 points a game over 500 yards. It's like almost 50-50 rush pass. How would you describe your offense? We just come every week and try to execute the game plan. I mean, we got a lot of players uh, from the offensive line, receivers, backs. Uh, I'm sure you've seen we have other quarterbacks that have also played and, you know, helped with the season. So we got a lot of, lot of talent, but also just a lot of good dudes, unselfish guys. Okay, and now you mentioned Coach Anise before. He uses terms like committed, professional, competitive, perfectionist, winner, when he's talking about you. What's your relationship like with him? It sounds like he's pretty happy with the decision he made to have you come on the team. Yeah, no, we have a good relationship. And obviously, he's done a great job at Paris. You know, that's just the person he is. He's a super, super competitive guy, wants to win at all costs. And that's really, you know, how I would describe him. But also a guy, you know, takes care of his players and, you know, generally cares about, you know, the guys, which is really cool to see. And you mentioned you are kind of in, in a uh, quarterback rotation, or at least the other guys have gotten plenty of playing time, Malik Mitchell mm-hmm. and Evan Cummins. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We talked with some running backs that are in running back by committee, but you don't hear quarterbacks being shuffled so much. What's that like? Has that made your transition easier yeah, it's definitely helped me. Like I said, uh, not having much experience and being able to kind of go to those guys, you know, Malik, Evan, we have uh, Jesse Rivera, and go to those guys and, uh, you know, ask them questions about things, you know, hey, I'm not, not sure about this, or hey, what you see on that? Uh, that's definitely made it, you know, easier for sure. Jared, what would you say is your biggest strength as a quarterback? What is your best trait? I mean, not just as a quarterback. I would just like to say, I mean, I'm not the most vocal guy. Um, I try to, you know, lead by example and just, you know, I want to show these other guys, you know, it's hard to win. Not the everyone, it looks all good when you're winning and stuff like that. But um, behind the scenes, you know, it, it's tough. You know, you got to put in the work. You got to put a lot of hours into this stuff. I think that's probably what I would say, just trying to show, show these other guys and, and kind of lead by example in that way. Obviously, your dad has coached in the NFL before, so my next question has to do with mm-hmm. the favorite player in the NFL, whether it's a quarterback or another position. Is there somebody that you like to watch on Sundays, and, and why? Lamar Jackson, for sure. I don't know. I started following him when he was at Louisville. Obviously, he had that blow-up in high school. I've just been following him. and He's just fun to watch. He looks like a really genuinely just good guy, and I love watching Lamar Jackson. Are you a big fan of the Baltimore Ravens as well? I'm not a huge fan. We have a lot of guys in Maryland that were big Ravens fans. They hear this. I can't really give them too much love. I'll watch 
them because Lamar Jackson. Can you take him in a race, Jared? No, he's different. He's one of a kind. Maybe a mile, Jared. Maybe 1,500 meters. <laughs> Maybe if I don't fall out on the ground. And... That's four laps. He's more of, you know, he accelerates well, but that doesn't mean that yeah. he, he can keep up for four laps out there. So maybe, right? Maybe back in the lacrosse days, we were running a decent amount. So maybe uh, I could get him on that. Well, needless to say, this has been a pretty uh, unique experience to date. I mean, obviously, you're chasing a championship, and that's mm-hmm. the goal. But what would be your most satisfying part of this experience to date? Probably just being able to go out and just practice every day and play football and be like, yeah, I get to come out here and, and play you know, college football, especially against the, the talent that's, that's out here. Uh, like I said, I didn't really look at college football when I was in high school. Uh, I didn't really think I was going to play and would always love watching college football, follow it and my, with my dad and stuff. So just being able to go out and do that every day, sometimes it's kind of, yeah, pinch yourself a little bit because it's, uh, it's just really cool to be out there. Speaking of your dad, and uh, again, he's, as we mentioned, he's no longer with us, so we're sorry for your loss mm-hmm. there. I know it's been a couple years, but anyway, that's always a tough thing to go through. What do you think he would say about all of this? I would hope, you know, he'd just be proud. Uh, nothing was to do with any accolades or whether I'm playing, starting, or whatever, just that I'm kind of going and, and giving this a go. I'm in Western Michigan, and, uh, never been out here, and going against, you know, really great talent every day. And I, you know, hope he would just be happy that I'm, you know, trying to compete, you know, each and every day and just, you know, give it my, give it my best. Now, if he had his coach's hat on, I mean, do you hear his words, like, while you're playing or practicing, kind of him driving you along? I definitely think about, you know, things he would say, and uh, he coached me in uh, lacrosse when I was younger. Little here, a uh, little replies and, and stuff that he would uh he'd probably be saying uh nothing too crazy did he have a go-to phrase he'd always have these uh slick comments and stuff you know especially in lacrosse if someone was trying to do something too cute or or do something too much and he would just be like if you want to be a creative take up pottery something like that you know we never really got into the football aspect too much we we're always really um, I think coaching us more on, on lacrosse and just life lessons. Is the NFL in the back of your mind? Do you want to give it a go? If there's an opportunity, I'm not even really thinking about that right now. I got you know, a lot going on with, uh, with this team and, you know, trying to prepare and help uh, these guys, you know, get the wins. You know, if there's an opportunity, I'll, I'll definitely explore it. But I'm not really sure. Just kind of taking it day by day right now. Would you be open to the idea of transitioning from quarterback to maybe wide receiver or other position in the NFL mm-hmm. in order to get that opportunity? Definitely be open for sure. I, you know, I think the more options you have, you know, the better just keeping things open and, you know, flooring. Definitely. All right. This is that part of the show where, you know, our guest gets to do any plugs that you'd like to do. Here's the floor and go ahead. Any plugs you'd like to do? Uh, yeah, I mean, I'm on Instagram. I think it's just my name, Jared Bernhardt. Twitter is the same thing. Well, Jared, thank you for coming on the show. We appreciate it, and good luck in the playoffs. Thank you. I appreciate you having me. Thanks again to Jared Bernhardt. What an athlete. Former Terp, now at Ferris State. Let's talk now about a little bit about Mac Jones and also Kyle Shanahan. 
Mac Jones, we knew he was the most NFL-ready quarterback, but nobody believes that he's going to be the best quarterback in five years out of this class. Lowest ceiling. That, that's sure. what I'm saying, but I think we're underplaying it a little bit. He's having so much success on a good team, no questions asked. But right now, I've got more questions that in five years, he can't definitely be the best quarterback out of this draft class, Lou. You say he can? Yes, he can. And I just think that there's still a narrative in the media and with, you know, these coaches that missed on Mac Jones, they are still not believing it. They're like, yeah, we knew that he was going to do this. We knew that he was going to run this Patriot system, but this is it. This is his floor. You know, this is what they said about Tom Brady, Lou. And I just think that it's very possible. It's very likely that he'll be the best quarterback in five years out of this draft class. I mean, obviously, the way he's playing now, I mean, he should still continue to improve. You know, that team's not going anywhere. Belichick's not going anywhere, I don't believe, for a second. You know, if he thinks that this is his kind of Brady 2.0, or, you know, not that they're going to win all those Super Bowls, but that this is the guy that's going to run our offense and do basically what Brady did— and we're going to play defense because I'm the genius at you know shutting other teams down no matter what they do. Yeah, he's going to be there for a long time. So that leads me to believe that he certainly has a chance to be the best. But again, the other part of it is, are these other guys going to develop? That's the only thing. That's the unknown. No, they're going to develop. But what I'm saying is it's silly to think that the quarterback that we're seeing in Mac Jones right now is the quarterback that we're going to see in three years because we're seeing that he has improved from the first part of the season to this part. Right. This is a different quarterback. The other end of that argument is we haven't seen the best out of the other guys Absolutely. either. And, and they each are more physically gifted and may have you know, more ability for the off-scripted plays. It's things that they can do things outside of the, the play or outside of the X's and O's that is going to help them win games, whereas Mac... It's got to be within the structure. He's not going to make a lot of plays off script. We might never find out in the next three years because Jacksonville stinks. The Jets stink. The Bears stink. You start talking about, you know, ceilings and floors and what they're doing. Yeah, right now it looks like, wow, we missed the boat here on Mac Jones. But again, Trey Lance really hasn't had an opportunity to play. The Jaguars are just awful, but you still see Lawrence making strides. He's getting better. Justin Fields, again, his confidence is really starting to ramp up. So I think he's going to improve throughout the end of this year. Let's see who their next coach is. Any of these guys can be the best. They all have ability, but you got to give Mac his due, and maybe he does end up being the best. I don't think anybody thinks this is it, like he's topped out. But overall, I mean, if you have to project, and you know that's what these guys have to do before they make the draft, if they project, what is Mac Jones going to be versus what these other guys can be? Do you want to build your offense around that type of quarterback? Or do you want to build it around somebody that's a little bit more mobile and kind of like where the game is going? Now, for New England, he's perfect. This is what they want. 
They just want a guy to distribute the ball, not have to go above the X's and O's, and just put it where it's supposed to be, when it's supposed to be there, and we're not going to beat ourselves. And the defense is going to take care of us, and we'll win. And they did it for like 20 years or whatever, so why stop now? They just needed a new catalyst because Brady, uh, you know, left. I just think we don't know where the Jaguars are going to be in three years. We don't know where the Jets are going to be in three years. We don't know where the Bears are going to be in three years. This is a win-now league. A win-now league. If Lawrence and Wilson and Fields play well at times but don't win and don't lead their teams to the playoffs because they just don't have the talent around them, then we'll never find out what the talent level for those guys is, what the ceiling for those guys are because they're always running for their lives. You know, Their offensive line can't protect them. They don't have the wide receivers. They don't have the running game, and I think it's really difficult. And if this continues, then Matt Jones is in a perfect position because, again, the Patriots have the best team, and they'll continue winning. And therefore, he's going to be able to shine if he has a good running game, if he has a good defense. He doesn't have to make all the plays. He just has to be accurate and make good decisions. That's what he's doing now. I don't think anybody questions that and that he is the right guy for that job and that position. So, and like you said, we don't know what these other teams are. So then you have to go back and say, then it does it. Well, geez, you know, should the Jaguars have taken Mac Jones? Should the Jets have taken Mac Jones? Would Mac Jones have had this kind of success anywhere else? Emphatically, no. He'd be getting killed worse than these guys in those other spots because he doesn't move very well. The offenses are much different. You have to put it in context and where he's at. Now, we said that leading up to the draft, where you land matters. I think that's like 50 or 60 percent of it, actually, because these guys are all good. They can all play. But can you mentally deal with all the losing and the getting beat up and so forth. I think once Trey Lance gets an opportunity in San Francisco, that's going to be a good situation for him. I think Justin Fields is going to work in Chicago. Are they going to be superstars? I don't know, but they're going to be really good for their teams. And then Lawrence is just really, really good. So I think eventually Jacksonville will be good. Now, will they be great? You have to hit on a bunch of drafts because right now all those rosters are lacking. I hope Trey Lance works out for the 49ers. I was a proponent of that pick. I saw the things that you can do with Trey Lance as far as his running, as far as the bootlegs, as far as he gives you a different dimension on the ground. But man, right now, based on what Mac Jones is doing during his rookie season, I can almost assure you that Mac Jones... Could have done the same thing with the 49ers. He'd be doing the same thing that Jimmy is doing with San Francisco, right? That would be more, I guess, a better comp there. I honestly, like those people that are tuned in to the NFL that know what the hell is going on, and they speak with some of these execs around the league, there's some people that I trust in the media that believed that Mac Jones was going to be the pick at number three. Kyle Shanahan wanted him. It's not the fact that he didn't think Trey Lance could not develop into a good quarterback. It's just he felt he was more of a project. And I feel like the front office, and in this case, John Lynch, I think talked Kyle Shanahan into this pick. That's what I think went on. 
Kyle Shanahan will never admit to this. Maybe we'll find out the story in 20 years when Mac Jones is in the Hall of Fame and Trey Lance is a bust somewhere. I don't know. That's when it's going to come out. That sounds like a pessimistic 49ers fan. Ultimately, I think Kyle has the final check mark or the final say. I think, to me, if they were going to give up that kind of capital... He just saw Lance in his offense, the way he likes to dial up the runs with a quarterback that could do what Trey Lance does. I think his mind was blown and said, we got to get this guy. You know that history repeats itself. And you know the the Redskins, when they were the Redskins, and when Shanahan was on staff with his dad, they did make the pick to go get Robert Griffin III. During the rookie season, it worked out. But in the end, Kirk Cousins turned out to be the better quarterback. I see the same thing maybe happening here. At times, you just have to kind of shake yourself and say, like, which quarterback worked out for me in the long term? And at times, you're fascinated by this immense physical specimen in Trey Lance. Yeah. Well, you like to think that they learn from the mistake. If they view it as a a mistake. But RG3 seemed like he was more Lamar Jackson. And Trey Lance is closer to, I think, Cam Newton. Now, obviously, not nearly as big, not nearly as tough. But he's a bigger dude, a little thicker. Whereas RG3 was, again, like Lamar Jackson, kind of wiry. and, And the rules have changed even further now. So... That seems like to me, like he's like one of those RG3 injuries away from being an afterthought, which is horrible to think. But at some point, you think that as much as he carries the ball, that that might happen to him. But as far as Kyle's concerned, yeah, that's exactly what he was thinking. But here's a bigger, tougher guy, and he might not get hurt as easily. So that's my two cents on that. I I still think Lance is going to be a great player. I hope so. And I was behind this pick. But right now... You've got some cloud in terms of this because you haven't seen him. You haven't seen him, but you've seen Mac Jones. And you know that in the 49ers offense, he would have been doing the same thing that he's doing in the Patriots offense. And right now, a lot closer to like seven and three and closer to the Cardinals than we are where we are. Is that what Kyle wants to do on offense, though? See, that's it. It's in his head, right? I mean, this is I mean, he wants it to be his way. And I think that's what I think helps him beat the Rams on the regular because the way he wants to run this offense works against the Rams. I mean, they just beat them up physically. And the Rams try to do it, you know, a different way, throwing the ball a little bit more. And now that he's McVay has Stafford, he's really ramped up the throwing part of it. And you don't even recognize the the Shanahan roots in the Rams offense, the way he's running it. Kyle, it's very, I think this is all very personal for him. So yeah, the Trey Lance thing, if he doesn't come in soon, definitely the beginning next season, and you're going to see a whole different bag of tricks, you know, in that run game, I think. Okay, moving on now, let's talk about the Colts, because again, this is a team that started off really slow, but I think we're starting to see the team that we thought they could be, smash mouth. Jonathan Taylor, the offensive line, Carson Wentz taking care of the ball, which he still he still has a ways to go with that. But still, it's starting to come to fruition. And Frank Reich's belief 
and just core values and the defense doing what they're doing, this team can be very scary as we move through the end of November and December. And Jonathan Taylor, my goodness, wow, with Derrick Henry out of the picture, is there a better running back right now in the NFL? I don't think there is, Lou. I mean, 193 carries for 1,122 yards, and he has scored 13 touchdowns on the ground. He has solved his fumbling issues that have haunted him coming out of college in Wisconsin. And the one thing that I noticed, like going through the stats, the Colts really haven't featured him quite as much. They've done so in the last two games. Against Jacksonville, he got 21 carries. Against Buffalo, he got 32 carries, and he rewarded them with 185 yards on the ground, four rushing touchdowns, and one passing touchdown. But before that, they weren't giving him the ball. They weren't giving him 20 carries in the first nine weeks of the season. That's really strange, considering that you know Carson Wentz has been banged up. I'm surprised that the Colts haven't ridden this. And what this tells me is that Jonathan Taylor right now is fresh, coming for the stretch run. And therefore, I wouldn't want to face the Indianapolis Colts here in the second half of the season because it looks like they're just, they're prime. Uh, Carson Wentz hasn't done much the, the last couple of games. I mean, they've kept his numbers down, but they focused on the run. They've won, what, four out of the last five games? They started the season one and four. This would be a remarkable turnaround if Frank Wright can get the Colts into the playoffs. Yeah, I mean, they had a couple of tough losses, overtime and so forth. So, you know, you could easily see that this team was turning the corner. And this goes back to maybe a few episodes back when we were talking about the NFL being kind of cyclical with kind of trends and how they play the game, right? Where things got really, really pass happy. You've got these wide open offenses, teams are throwing the ball over the yard. And that's going to continue, but you're seeing some teams kind of embracing the physicality of the sport. And those are the teams that are going to continue to be successful, that more games are lost than are won. And this goes back to the way Belichick plays, right? Don't make the mistakes. Run the ball. Play good defense. I mean, it just sounds so boring and simple, but some teams are evolving. Some are really laying into that's our identity, a la now the the Eagles, for instance, running the ball a lot more. And maybe Sirianni's taken a page out of out of Reich's book and hey, let we've got a few running backs. Let's keep our main guy fresh. You know, you, you've got Hines, you've got Mack. Now Mack really hasn't been healthy and doesn't see the ball much, and Himes is more of a, a receiver, but still they, they do kind of distribute that uh, division of labor, I believe uh, Mike Tomlin calls it. But again, that that physicality can really neutralize these teams, these high-flying offenses, and personalize it looking at the way the Chiefs play. They're kind of morphing in front of our eyes as to the way they want to play. Now, they're always going to be wide open. Mahomes is always going to be looking for the big plays, but you see that over the weekend, running the ball more, playing good defense. It's just, and you saw it last night. And by last night, I mean the Monday night game, Tampa and the Giants. I mean, you know, Brady dinking and dunking his way down the field, the defense kind of choking things off. Now the Giants aren't very good. As far as the Colts are concerned, yes, they're going to be a very difficult out. 
I want to see. I'm looking looking at the rest of their schedule. They got a, a few tough ones. They've got uh, Tampa this week, but it's at home. But then they have they play at Houston, then a bye. Very tr- tough stretch. Then they've got New England at Arizona, back home for Las Vegas, and then the last two games should be fairly easy with Las Vegas at in Indy and then at Jacksonville to, to wrap it up. They look like a team that's really built to win come playoff time. What's going to happen, though, Lou? I mean, when teams are going to stack that box, they're going to bring eight people to stop the run against Jonathan Taylor. What's going to happen? Who's going to beat you on the outside? Do you trust Carson Wentz? I don't. He's still so up and down. He's still going to, you know, have those turnovers. He's going to have that costly interception or a fumble in the pocket. They only have Michael Pittman. You mentioned Naheem Hines kind of being that receiving threat, but they don't have another wide receiver that would scare me. And I think that's probably a detriment to this team. We need another wide receiver. Experienced teams like Tampa are just going to sell out to stop the run and say, all right, Carson, beat us. I'm not sure the Colts can do that consistently. Absolutely. because And he has to show it. I mean, he has to show that uh, that he can make the plays when they're there. I, again, the T.Y. Hilton has not been healthy for most of the year. Pascal, they lost Paris Campbell. Looked like he was starting to kind of find himself in the NFL. And now he's not, not healthy either. Mo Alley-Cox occasionally, but he's more of a red zone target. Boyle, you know, kind of up and down. So, yeah, you're absolutely right. That's going to be their... I guess uh, the Everest that they have to climb is to say, okay, when teams challenge us to pass, can we do it? Do we trust Wentz to do it? I believe Reich, for one reason or another, absolutely has all the trust in the world in Wentz and lets him continue to fire. Yeah, we'll, we'll just have to see if he can do it. Uh, I mentioned Philadelphia. It's really odd because it looked like coming out of the gate against Atlanta, uh, they had a plan. I mean, it looked like they were going to throw the ball a lot. That worked that game, but then things went awry. And then at some point, Sirianni realized, hey, we've got a more than a decent offensive line. We've got some backs. Hertz can run the ball as well as any quarterback, not as fast as Lamar, but he's shifty and can kind of make some moves, make people miss and do his thing. And it's been working. And now they get Sanders back. Maybe that adds a little fuel to the fire. And, uh, you know, they can make some noise in the NFC East. Bottom line on the Colts, again, run the ball, play good defense, try to stay close, and then the fourth quarter make a play on either side of the ball. And hopefully Carson Wentz doesn't screw it up. I think the Colts wish that they were in the NFC this year, where it's a little bit more wide open, where teams right now, you know, Arizona is starting Colt McCoy. You know, the Packers don't look like themselves anymore ever since that Aaron Rodgers, you know, being out a couple of weeks ago. They had a thrilling game against the Vikings, which they lost like in the last second. So the NFC is a little more wide open. It's going to be tougher. And you and I have talked about this the past couple of weeks, a lot tougher to get into the playoffs in the AFC. I don't know that there's many teams. I mean, Jacksonville and Houston, the Jets... Miami, you know, there's a handful of teams that are out, but it seems like everybody else, you know, there's probably like between 10 and 12 teams that have legitimate chances at making the playoffs. Obviously, seven of them are going to get in and division winners and, you know, wild card, however you want to look at it. But there are a lot of teams that are in the hunt, so to speak. 
as far as the physical play is concerned, because I think defenses have had to maybe get a little bit smaller, a little bit faster, do you think that's kind of like the, the evolution now? Let's go back to being more physical on offense. Do you see a shift at all at the way the game's played? I think the smarter teams are shifting because everybody is throwing the ball, like the 49ers are running it. You know, the Steelers are running it more because they can't throw it with Big Ben 50 times a game anymore. They didn't against the Chargers, and that crushed them. Well, I mean, the Colts, the Chiefs. Yeah, I think the smarter teams are trying to control the clock a little bit more and say, hey, we can do this and that and be creative. You've got to have the running game in the playoffs, Lou. I mean, for the most part, you have to have it in order to advance very, very far. It's very difficult to continue to just have a great passing offense and not have any running game at all when you need to slow down the game, especially in the fourth quarter. Right. We just have to win. We don't have to score. It's not the first to 40 or the first to 35 that wins. We just have to win the game. So, I mean, it's great. It's exciting. It's it, huge plays after huge plays. It's, it's great to watch. But all of a sudden, those plays don't happen on a regular and you turn it over a few times. And the next thing you know, you're out. Yeah, I hear you. And again, it sounds boring, but, you know, complimentary football, physical play. I think even Brady was talking about it, how some of the rules are kind of legislating a lot of the physicality out of the game. And he's kind of railing against it because that's not the way he came up. And a lot of players probably thinking that way. But anyway, we've got some picks to make, right? We do. I'm excited to hear it because, uh, hey, you've been uh, picking up steam and doing much better. Yeah, three and one last week. Uh, we had kind of the clunker on Thursday because I went to my trend play as far as going against the road teams, and that didn't work out so well. Zero to twenty-five, Atlanta. Thank you. But the other three worked out pretty well. You know, Lamar didn't suit up for Baltimore. We got the line at six and a half, so hey, we covered the spread. Indianapolis plus seven wins outright, and the Eagles minus one and a half won fairly handily. It got a little weird at the end there where New Orleans scored a bunch of points but uh, it seemed like Philadelphia had that in control so three and one 19 and 21 for the season right now let's take a look at this week's card I'm going against the Steelers this might be a tough pick because TJ Watt Minka Fitzpatrick might be back I don't know. I'm buying the Bengals again. This is a bad move, I think, on on the surface, but I'm going to go with it. Cincinnati minus three and a half at home versus the Steelers. I am going to take the Broncos plus two and a half at home versus the Chargers. Yes, the Chargers did what they did against the Steelers the other night, but you know, taking the show on the road, divisional game. I don't think the success is going to be there. Herbert, yes, he's great. He's been making plays. But again, when they had their lull, it's typically against these teams that play them a little bit tighter. So I'm going to go with the Broncos. San Francisco's given three to Minnesota. Now, they've been horrible at home up until that Rams game. So hopefully I'm thinking Shanahan's starting to get his mojo back here. I'm going to go San Francisco minus three against Minnesota. And then finally, I'm going against the Browns. I don't like what I'm seeing from Baker on the field, primarily because he's hurt. And then off the field, you know, skipping the post-game press conference. Then the next day, doing an interview, kind of sounding, you know, remorseful. But then he doubles down and, like, 
calls out the fans. And I just don't like the look. I don't like the feel that team has internally. So I'm going to go with the Ravens minus four and a half. And then a bonus pick on Thursday. I don't like any of these games. I mean, I, I would tend to think Dallas crushes the Raiders. But, you know, again, I'm not sure about Dallas health-wise. But I'm going to go over the total in the Dallas-Las Vegas game. Over 51. Special turkey day. Eat it. Yeah, I like that. I think the Cowboys offense is going to get back on track. It was it was really weird to see how they didn't score anything against your Kansas City Chiefs. I mean, it just made it a lot more um, you know weird in that regard. All right, I've lost a couple of times in a row already uh, for my lock of the week. Last week, I came up short with the Saints against the Eagles. That was just a bad, bad pick. The Eagles are riding high, and the Saints have, you know, ever since I bought into the Saints, they've taken a step back. So desperate times call for desperate measures. I never do this slow just because I feel like I'm going to jinx my team. Oh, no. I already picked. Oh, no. I know, but sometimes I do that. I mean, it's like <laughs> I, I don't know which picks you're going to have, and you don't know oh, which no, picks. Oh, no, no, no. I'm not. No, I just, you know, go on. So I'm going to pick my 49ers, minus three. They're at home. The Vikings are riding high right now off their win against the Packers. Both teams are are fighting for those final two NFC playoff spots, which are still up for grabs. And whoever loses, you know, is kind of going to be out of that picture. The Vikings offense has really clicked the last couple of weeks, but the 49ers defense and that run game and Debo Samuel continue to put a hurting on most of the opponents that are playing. Because they're at home, again, I never, ever take my team in these locks of the week. But I'm going to do it. I'm a believer in Kyle Shanahan this week. I think they get it done, and and they cover against the Vikings there at minus three. All right, very good. There you have it, folks. Bengals, Broncos, Niners, Ravens, and the over in the Dallas-Las Vegas game. Last week, I did a shout-out to, to a couple of pros like us alums. Uh, they were playing in the Division II playoffs first round in Notre Dame, Ohio. Jimmy Burchett's team ended up uh, winning that game, 33-25 to over Slippery Rock. Our man Jermaine Wynn was not able to play due to an injury. Slippery Rock's team was just decimated with injuries throughout the year. The quarterback goes down. Uh, we find out now that his running mate, Henry Litwin, uh, was playing most of the season with a broken collarbone. Uh, so hats off to them for gutting it out and also good luck to Notre Dame of Ohio moving on in the playoffs. If you see the subscribe button as you're listening to us, please go ahead and hit it. We would be very thankful for that. First, happy Thanksgiving. And on the way out, he's Alex. I'm Lou. Peace!